coming in as Blue. Billetdyke centered it. All right, welcome to the Scotiabank Saddledome. We're underway this hour from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge. Pat and Pike with you on the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Make patio setup easier for your staff with a key to like system. Just one key to lock all your padlocks and doors. Visit CalgaryLockandSafe.com. Flames Talk available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. We would love if you went and hit subscribe wherever you get them. Hi, Pike. Welcome to Game 82. Hey. It's been a, a long, weird journey from Game 1 to Game 82. And before you know it, Pat, it'll be September and we'll be doing this all again. Well, let me let, let me enjoy the summer first before we get there. If we don't get playoff hockey, oh, at least let me enjoy the summer first, I mean, okay? Th- this summer? This summer might be like last summer where news just wouldn't stop breaking long enough for people to take vacations. Yeah, and we might have – you know what, Pike? We got lots of time for the off season. Let's talk about Matt Coronado. Let's go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. The beer tastes better when it's bought from the place that cheers for your team. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. Yeah, let's talk Matt Coronado, Pike, because Calgary's most exciting scoring prospect since Matthew Kachuk makes his NHL debut Wednesday night versus San Jose. And I, is that accurate? I mean, you think about it. I, I would say so. They haven't had a high, high-end high offensive prospect in the organization like Coronado since drafting Kachuk sixth overall in 2016 because Pelche, that's not his bread and butter. Zeri put up some nice points in the Western League. Um, very quietly putting together a very nice season in the American League, In the American League, League yeah. Yuso Valimaki was, was not a, a high-end scoring guy, plus was a different position. I don't know. It just feels like you go take a look at the numbers that he put up at Harvard and specifically uh, with Chicago in the USHL. This is one of the most high-end offensive guys they've had in the org for, for quite some time. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And, you know, the the the, the box cars on him in his draft year were this is a kid who's, you know, he's, is he big? No. Is he small? No, he's like a middleweight. He's 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 got, uh, I believe, what uh, Brad Philippe described in a in a chat with Wes Gilbertson as that big butt. Uh, he's got what what they call the hockey butt, but that just means he he's got a, a Maddie's, lower. Maddie's got back. He's got a lower body that allows him to hold onto the puck and got, not get knocked around. A good oh center of gravity. Oh my God, Maddie! <laughs> but you know he uses that to just get to places where you score goals. I mean, if you look at his highlight reel from his time with the Chicago Steel and his highlight reel from two years at Harvard, he just, he's got probably the best release of any player in the organization not named uh, Tyler Toffoli. And I'm very curious to see them in the same game because we'll see what kind of distance there is between those two guys in terms of shooting ability. But, you know, having the guys who have the ability to, you know, know where the quiet areas of the ice are, know how to get there without having to attract a lot of defensive attention and know how to get the puck off really quickly off their stick before the other team realizes you have it. I mean, you know, I think, you know, especially early in his career, I think uh, we're going to see Coronado be a bit more of a power play specialist because 
figuring out where this time and space is on uh, on the ice at the pro level is tough. We saw even Johnny Gaudreau, who is a prodigious yeah. offensive talent, struggled with it early on. So you know you got to set your expectations moderate for uh, for Mr. Coronado. But you know there, there's there's enthusiasm about his game and and well earned enthusiasm, especially this year where he played center for two thirds of the season because Harvard had some injuries. John Farinacci, one of their main centers, was hurt for you know half the season, so they basically had to use uh, use uh, Coronado in a spot he hadn't been in and since. I, I, Brad True Living said that said that to me after they signed him that they think his offensive numbers were a little bit lower this year because he yeah. played center and, and there was all that extra responsibility. Yeah, yeah, and you know he was he was killing penalties, something he didn't do as frequently. He was sort of the the guy that uh, you know he was he was. Uh, in much more of sort of a central role in that he touched a lot of aspects of the game. And I think that really made his game, you know, move ahead quite a bit. His offensive numbers were basically flat from his freshman year. Yeah, point but, per game to point per game. But I think if you, if you, you know, folks who watched a lot of Harvard, more Harvard than I did, were kept, kept telling me, you know, he does so many of the little things well that it gave them a lot of confidence that uh, that he'd have success uh, both at the collegiate and at the pro level. So, you know, first game's a, a good way to, to start off and see where you're at. It's funny, you... Um you use the Tyler Toffoli comparison. I think there's a lot, there's a lot of similarities between those two guys as well. Now, Tyler Toffoli's maybe not like a bona fide top line right winger, but he is this team's top right winger, and he's a top six right winger on any team in the NHL. I think that's kind of where Coronado projects to be. Similar things that they do well: shooting the puck, um, not necessarily the the greatest, most most you know gifted skaters. Although I think Coronado is is maybe a little uh, higher end than, than where Toffoli is. Both think the game really well. I think Toffoli's uh, details and hockey IQ, some of the highest on the team when you think about it. Um, so that might be a little bit higher on Toffoli's side of things. But I see, and somebody else on the text line um, suggested Mike Camilleri last hour as well. So Oh, I, li- I really like that You comparison. like that one? Yeah, because Camilleri was probably underrated while he was here. Like, he did so many things well, and you could, you know, was he an amazing 200-foot player? No. He was good in all three zones, and he was very good in the offensive zone, especially on the power play. I really like that comparison. I mean, Camilleri shot left, so... Ah, let's throw it out then. No, throw it out. Yeah, I like that comparison too. It's a good one. Uh, And and here's, before we hear from uh, Matt, we'll hear from him in just seconds. I don't, and I said this last hour when talking about Dustin Wolf. I honestly don't care how he plays in his first NHL game. Like, if he doesn't play well, oh well. Like, if it's if it's a rough game, if there's a giveaway here or there, if he's not super noticeable, oh well. It's his first NHL game. And if he goes out and does what Johnny Gaudreau did in his first NHL game nine years ago, that's awesome. That's awesome if he goes and scores a goal or gets a point. That's a good way to propel himself into the offseason. But I think regardless, playing in the NHL is going to propel him into the offseason. So, yeah, I'm not really I'm not really concerned how yeah. well or how um, not well he plays in his NHL debut. I'll say this for Coronado. This is a data point. You know, he it's the first, you know, you're, if, if, if you're looking at player development, uh, you know, you're looking for progression and you're looking for figuring out what guys aren't good at and what they are good at and figuring out ways to either hide their deficiencies or fix them. And so, you know, the Flames have, you know, what, 70 some data points of him at college. And they know he's pretty good against collegiate uh, opposition at certain things. So now you know, he's, you know, granted, it's to be respectful of both teams. Garbage time. This is, you know. Game 82 for two teams that are going to be playing past uh, past the, the end of this week. 
and are looking ahead to development camps or looking ahead to training camps to Penticton. So if you're the Flames, this gives you a chance to sort of see how he does, get some feedback from some veterans about things they like, things they didn't like, get some feedback from your pro scouts and amateur scouts, and then send him into the summer. You know, he, I, my understanding is Matt Coronado is going to go uh, back and finish school, finish his classes. Finish then, his sophomore year. Yeah, yeah. finish his sophomore year, and then he's going to get ready for, for development camp and training camp. So can you send him back to school with a bit of information about things you'd like him to work on between now and development camp, and then when he shows up in development camp, you gauge where he is and then keep building it. Because I think, you know, I know the the temptation is always, especially in fans, we understand where you're coming from with this, but the temptation is always, you know, guy gets drafted in uh, 2021, people would love to see him in the NHL producing the next day. That's not usually how it works, especially once you get past the first maybe five or six guys in each draft class. So, Coronado is always going to be kind of a longer-term guy. And so I think they, the Flames knew that. They set up a plan for him. And now the, this is the exciting time because when a guy's in college, you're kind of hands-off. He's, he's going to school. He's doing a bunch of other things. Like, you don't have the level of, you know, uh, manipulation you have with your AHL guys. And so now, okay, does he need AHL time? Does he need development camp time what, what, what do you need to do to get into the next level this is basically the first day yeah. of them executing that plan and from as someone who really enjoys watching these young guys go from fresh face like you and i've been how many drafts together we see these guys go from fresh face you know draftees to being actual nhl players and they all have to go through the same path and some guys just figure it out and this is step one Let's uh, hear from Matt Coronado. Before we do that, here's head coach Daryl Sutter on Coronado's debut Wednesday night. I think he's a really good kid. He's been a real sponge, I think, in terms of, of uh, you know, the direction and following and, and you know, seeing those guys that he's trying to be like, things like that. So, uh, you know what, <laughs> he's a kid, so... One game, but what's the mindset behind uh, having him between Kadri and, and Pelche? Oh, I think the mindset would be with with Cods, right? Two kids. I think it's you know, I think it's good for Naz, and and uh, they'll have a good game. So that's Daryl Sutter on Matt Coronado, who will play the right side with Nazem Kadri in the middle and Jacob Pelche back in the lineup on the left side. Now let's hear from Matt himself. I, we all, as soon as the Flames were eliminated on Monday night, I think we knew that this one was going to happen. NHL debut for Coronado doesn't make it any less of a big deal for the young man, though. Let's hear from Matt Coronado as he spoke to the media after Wednesday's morning skate. Feeling good. Um... It's been kind of like I said earlier, uh, these guys have been awesome with, with helping me feel comfortable. So um, I've been here for a few weeks, feel feel good around the guys, which has helped a lot. How much more comfortable do you feel now than you would have when you first arrived? But... Oh, a lot. Definitely a lot. Um, I think it's been about two weeks now being with them every day. Um, so, yeah, that's that's been big. What's the coolest thing you've experienced uh, over these last few days? Ah, it's hard to pick out one thing. There's really just everything uh, in in the room with the guys, getting out there. I think uh, a big thing for me is being able to learn from everyone and, and see how guys go about their business. What's it going to be look like to stand there for the national anthem, look across the ice, and see Henry Thrun standing there? I actually went out to you with him last night, um, so that's going to be a lot of fun to, to play against him for sure. What about representing Harvard hockey program, too, the fact that you got a couple guys in the NHL and moved right in? Yeah, it's, a, it's important, Harvard 
uh, was big for me. I, I loved my time there, so I'm happy to see my teammates doing well. Henry and Sean Farrell a couple weeks ago had his debut too, or have you guys just been keeping up as you guys have been making your debuts? Yeah, I talked to him a uh, good amount, talked to Sean a lot. Um, so like I said, just really happy for him, for them all. They're, they're doing great. What does the successful debut look like for you to make? Uh, just just help the team in any way I can. Obviously, want to go out and, and help the team win. Um, work my hardest. We've kind of seen you around the rink with Dylan. What's he done to help you get comfortable both on and off the ice? Uh, a lot. He's been really like kind of a mentor for me. Um, he's he's been showing me around, and and he's he's been huge. You've uh, you spent a lot of time with Pelche, as you say. That's a relationship that I'm assuming you guys both look at and say this could be a good long run between with the two of us together here. Yeah, uh, we've been having a lot of fun. Um, he's a great kid, like I said. Yeah, we've we've been doing a lot of stuff together, whether it's after practice, working out. Uh, so we're definitely building a relationship. It's been fun. You always do. You spend yeah. some time with them in, in the community. Yeah, we've we've ate a few times together. Uh, we've been hanging out a little. It's been a lot of fun. Is it a pick up the tab? Because Hubert will usually fix up the tab for him. Uh, <laughs> he has. Yeah, we're. <laughs> <laughs> mentioned the mentorship from uh, Dubé. What would you say is the most important thing in the short time you've gotten to be around? I think just teach me little things. I think he keeps reminding me just not to be nervous, go out and play my game, uh, like talk about earning the opportunity and, and things like that just to, to help me kind of settle in. So what am I going to mean to you that your parents are there to see you? It means everything. Uh, they've done so much to, uh, to help me get to this point, so them being able to get out here uh, definitely means a ton. What was their reaction when you told them? Really excited. Uh, both of them. I called both of them. They were really, really happy, um, and they looked into getting out here right away. So glad it was able to work. To try to uh, soak everything in and, and make sure that you're kind of trying to remember all these things and not not be too excited or have that kind of overshadow it. Yeah, I think it's definitely important. I think it also is hard sometimes. Uh, to do that, but a lot of the the guys have been telling me that make sure I'm I'm soaking it all in, like you said. And I know it can be tough because uh, you want you go out there and, and play a hockey game, but I think it is important to do that. There you go. That is Matt Coronado trying to soak it all in as he plays his first NHL game Wednesday against the San Jose Sharks. And you know, I don't think because you know you think about he's playing in the NHL, and you even go back to. And and Johnny Gaudreau's the the comparable because the the similarities and and playing that one game before your first season all that type of stuff, you know Johnny played that game scored a goal came in the next year and I think he was like had one point and was goalless in his first six games it was and, five or six because remember they they went on that road and then trip they, they the scratched last, him in Columbus and, and then played w- him in Winnipeg and then he just blew the doors off Winnipeg and then he was point per game for pretty much his entire rest of the uh, exactly. The run there. But yeah, like I, I think the the interesting thing I find kind of fun uh, with uh, with Gaudreau. Gaudreau, you know, they sent uh, Craig Conroy some contracts in a plane. Uh, got a, got contracts done with him and Billy Arnold, and then threw them Poor on a Bill plane. Bill Arnold, always the forgotten guy. Threw them on a plane. He was a really good college player. He was. Threw him on a plane, flew him to Vancouver, and basically there was it was a whirlwind. There wasn't you know Gaudreau succeeded because it was just a weird game, and he managed to get a nice goal. But you know uh, Coronado, he had two weeks, and he's had you know you know we've seen you know, him palling around with you know that Jacob Pelche fella and Dylan Dubé and all these guys. So it seems like he has you know if you're trying to set up a kid. You know, throwing a kid in, uh, you know, fresh off a plane, basically, 
uh, is tough. It's a tough way to, to do it. And I think, you know, we saw the same kind of thing happen with Jacob Pelche with his debut where he was up with the big club for a couple of weeks before he got in. You know, Pelche had a, a really nice start to his pro or his NHL career in uh, in his first few games. And, you know, maybe maybe having a couple week lead in for, uh, for Coronado could be a help for that too. So, and I guess my point is that I don't think it's the worst thing. I'm not saying this will be the case. I'm talking about on merit. If Matt Coronado comes into training camp in his first NHL training camp and gets into preseason games and just looks like he's not ready for the NHL, if that's what we see next year, that's okay. I don't think it's hurt Jacob Pelche that much because nope. Jacob Pelche has come into two training camps now as a professional and has not been a standout. Jacob yeah. Pelche, let's, 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 call be, be, let's be perfectly honest. Yeah. Jacob Pelche's first two training camps going into pro hockey have been very underwhelming. Um, Mitch and, Wolf even told me that yeah, he probably was reading his headlines too much coming into this training camp. Yeah. And he started the last and, two seasons in the American League. Yeah. And he was able to earn his – it's not like it set him back in the AHL. And oh, then he I'll, was ready to play in the NHL a little while I'll, later. I'll say this. Think about how many job interviews you and I have been on in our lives. Imagine if I told you you're a good job interview away from being in your dream job, but you're a bad job interview away from making a tenth of the money that's like the psychological and the, the the mental aspect of training camp is fascinating to me you know if i were a 20 year old kid and you told me i was a good two weeks of hockey away from being a millionaire for the rest of my life that's that's on one hand kind of exciting but kind of terrifying so yeah i i i definitely agree with you and i think if you're the flames i think the the fact is i think the fact that they've had a minor league team performing as well as they have probably helps because if you're sending Coronado, it's not like you're sending him to Narnia. You're sending him to the what's same... Wrong with, what's wrong with Narnia? You're sending him down the down the hall in Mr. a building Tumless. that's had a lot of... Uh, a lot, uh, team that's had a lot of success the last two seasons. And, and I think more importantly, I mean, you know, if you look at the how the Flames have done things with drafting and development, I mean, they've had plenty of guys... Walker Doerr made open camp with the, the big club last year. And Grant, it was for, because of injury reasons, but he was up. They went, okay, you know, he's not quite there yet. Work on these four or five things. And he went down and he did the work. And now he's basically knocking on the door to be a full-time NHLer. And, you know, it's, uh, I vividly remember this. I remember, you know, TJ Brody had a great training camp his, his rookie year, his first year pro. Came up to the NHL, looked extremely ordinary, and then they built a plan for him, sent him down, and he became a pretty decent hockey player. And, you know, I, I think uh, keeping in mind that, you know, your trajectory isn't necessarily li- completely linear and there'll be some bumps in the road and, you know, helping these guys deal with those bumps because if you're if you're if the mindset is any any little uh, little gaff or any any bump in the road and everyone just you know goes into panic mode that that's not good for anybody so yeah i think this is game 82 it's a nice diversion it's a nice uh, a moose bouche as it were in terms of giving them an appetizer of what the nhl life is like and the nhl uh you know standard of play Would you like to explain what an amuse bouche is it, what, from what I remember, uh, Classy Pat, it's something that you eat to sort of cleanse your palate before well, the next. It's like I believe next... I believe it's a one bite little kind of. It's like a wafer, or something, isn't it? Yeah. No, it, it can be whatever. It can be it can be a scallop. It can be like it's a, just a. I watch it's a lot. Of, co- I watch a lot of Top Chef. It's Mike. the course between between courses. 
No, not always. Sometimes it's right. It's like usually like the first thing they bring out, just a little amuse bouche. It can be like a wafer. It can be like a, uh, like a cream puff. It can be a, a scallop. Whatever. Um, it, like it's just, and then it's a delicious little bite. It's an we're not gonna, we're not going to have trouble filling these shows during the off season. Are you going to have uh, a amuse bouche at your wedding? Like, is that going to be something that you're going to be offering people? I think we're fi- figuring out the menu t- on Friday. Tell uh, tell the wife amuse bouche, nice and classy. I'll, I'll pitch it. I'll pitch it. <laughs> Um, what, what, where do you see Coronado's, um, ceiling, by the way? Like, are, I see top six right winger it necessarily. Yeah. Like, is he, is he David Pasternak? No, but I think that a guy that can play on a regular basis throughout his career in that top six role and, and be a guy, I don't know if he's going to get there, but be a guy who gets you, you know, in the 25 range on a, on a goal basis, I, that, that's kind of where I see him. That's a pretty nice guy to get as a first-round pick in, in the middle of the draft. Yeah, and honestly, I think, you know, he as long as he can figure out where the space is, I think he'll always be able to score goals. And I think that's going to be the big challenge for him. Uh, I don't see him as someone, he doesn't have that amazing separation speed that, uh, you know, like pa- Pasternak has the ability to just find space. He, he makes space because he's just like part racehorse. He's just, you know, a, 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 he is wired differently. Yeah. He's, a just, different he's a being. different, he's a different type of, of uh, animal than the rest of us. So, you know, all due respect to him, Coronado probably isn't that, but he's such a smart player that I think if he can figure out how the NHL game unfolds, similar to how, you know, that was the, that was the thing with, uh, with Pelche where Pelche his you know, his, his nuts and bolts are built towards that two way game, that toolsy, you know, touching the game in a whole many different areas kind of way. He just need to figure out where he slots in and where, where he can touch and where he, you know, where he might have a few danger points. He's still figuring out, but I mean, you know, compared to where he was a year ago, I mean, you know, the, the Brad Trillings told me the one thing they really look for is, you know, people who want to learn, people who are competitive, and people who have high hockey sense. And these two guys, you know, actually these three guys, if you include uh, the goaltender, you know, really tick those boxes. And, you know, you can't teach guys to be competitive. They they seem That seems to be the one of the few things that they have to be wired for. And these three guys yeah. seem to have it. And it'll be very interesting to see how they utilize that in an environment that, you know, probably won't be terribly competitive in terms of standings points. Uh, on the text line, Ray L says, uh, Arians, and you'll only find them at Calgary Co-op. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite. NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Flames Talk is live on Calgary's Hockey Station. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, some good news and bad news to uh, wrap things up on this hour of Flames Talk. It's Pat and Pike on a Wednesday. Let's start with the good news, Pike. Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman have been named the uh, first ever co-winners of the Peter Marr Good Guy Award. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, Voted on by us uh, media leeches. Um... Those are the two that ended up getting the uh, co-win this year. They join, and thanks to Ryan Pike for aggregating this, because I was like, where do I find this? And they're I, over I, at Flames Nation. I, it's Pike with I the ha- list. I had the same thing. Every year I write this up, and I go, 
I should probably write down who's won it before because I will forget next year. And, you know, lo and behold, this came in handy for a bunch of people. I had a few people being like, thanks for writing that down because I didn't have to go looking for it very hard. Uh, the other winners, Eric Goodbranson last year, Derek Ryan the year before. Other winners have been Backlund's won it before, Travis Hamanick, Matt Stajan, Chad Johnson. And for the first three years of its existence, Joe Colburn was the we for the big and local winner the, of the Good Guy Award. The first few years, we might as well just call it the Joe Colborne Peter Marr Award. Exactly. Uh, so Coleman joins the list. Backlund wins it for a second time. Look, I know it's a media-voted award, and, and sometimes if you're listening, you're like, okay, uh, we don't care about you guys in the media. But we talk to these guys so that we can parlay them to you and so that you can hear from them. And these two guys are really, really strong ambassadors for the organization. I can tell you from firsthand experience that you know we all know my affinity for Michael Backlund. Uh, that has been uh, very well documented over the last decade. Well, well, also the uh, the Bill Masters Memorial Award Bill, nominee for Calgary. By the Professional Hockey Writers Association Calgary chapter. Um, and and he's, uh, Michael Backlund, very deserving of both. And Blake Cole, both guys are just, they're always there to chat with you. I, there have been three or four times this year after absolutely brutal losses that uh, Tim Khalil, the real deal, our outstanding producer, whispers in my ear from upstairs, and he goes, uh, we got Blake Coleman standing by, and I'm like, ah. Oh. Blake again and I don't mean it like I don't want to talk to him it's like another brutal loss and it's Coleman that has to be out here talking <laughs> live on the radio and he always does an incredible job with it these two guys are consummate pros they are incredible ambassadors for the organization so I just wanted to salute them it gives us an opportunity to talk about the all-time good guy the all-time example of how you should be as a professional as how you should be as a human being the hall of famer peter marr who there's nobody better to have this name on it than the ultimate great guy peter marr it was cool to see him at the dome today uh but very deserving we're going to hear from him in a second but very deserving blake coleman yeah. and michael backland yeah i mean you know it's uh you know for a living these guys go and you know they they battle the best players in the world and, you know, get their hearts broken half of the time. Or this year it seemed like a little bit more than half the time. And then they have to come out and explain what happened uh, moments later. And it's, it's not an, an easy thing to do, uh, especially, you know, when the emotions run high. And I'll give these two guys especially. There's a few other guys that are sort of in the mix that frequently come out uh, after losses and get, you know, just, you know, basically give us the what for in terms of what happened and why and how uh but you know whenever backland and coleman come out you always go okay this is gonna be worth listening to because i might learn something but more importantly you're gonna get a really honest accounting uh and respectful accounting of what happened and why and you know they're they're both guys that you know you're always you always look forward to, he to hearing from so First voice you'll hear from is peter marr and uh then we'll let uh blake and michael take it from there it's my pleasure to um, introduce the co-winners of the award of this year, standing over here to my uh, right, Blake Coleman, who um, I never did have the pleasure of calling a game in the NHL. Blake, you started in the NHL just as I was leaving. So uh, I've watched you play several, several, several games here in person and lots of games on TV when you're in Tampa and here and elsewhere. So uh, congratulations on uh, winning this good guy award. I know on the ice you're not such a good guy, and that's a good thing. <laughs> and the guy next to him is the, uh, the last game that I broadcast with the Flames. This guy is the only player left on the Flame team from uh, my last broadcast in uh, Vancouver, the night that Johnny Goudreau scored his first goal, and I called my last Flame goal. And uh, 
Michael Backlund played in that uh, particular game and played in a lot of hockey games before that uh, with the Flames before I uh, retired. He was always a good guy then and glad to see that uh, he's still being a good guy off the ice with you people in the media. And again, he's not such a good guy on the ice, which is a good thing as well. So you guys come forward. It's my pleasure to uh, make the presentation to you. Uh, well, first of all, uh, thank you guys. Obviously, it's uh, it's an honor to uh, to be recognized uh, for this award. It's um, you know I have a great relationship with a lot of you guys, and I've gotten to really know some of you guys pretty personally. And um, you know, and it's, there's a lot of good people in this room, and you guys are are all uh, on that same grind that we are. And, and you know, it's it's a tough job. It's demanding hours. It's a lot of uh, you know a lot of paying attention, and, and you know you got to be on top of things and you guys have been really good and um, you guys have always treated me and, and my family uh, which is most important to me uh, with a ton of respect and uh, I really appreciate that um, it means a lot to us and, and it goes a long way and um, you know I don't know that I do anything too special I, I just uh, I know you guys are all are all people and you're all working hard like we are and, and I try to treat you guys um, the way that I would want to be treated and um, I know I know Michael does that uh, as well and um, Again, I just wanted to say thank you guys. I know it's, you know, it's it's a really disappointing day for us. Um, you know, it's not where we want to be. It's not where I want to be uh, in terms of how the season just ended up. But, uh, you know, tough times. It's nice to have good people around. So, again, thank you. Um, it's an honor to, to get this from you guys, and I look forward to working with you in the, in the future. No clapping? <laughs> 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 Good guy, <or> that. <laughs> uh, well, how to top that off? That was a good speech. Uh, um, yeah, I feel the same. Uh, very honored and um, thankful to receive this award, and especially in Peter's name. Uh, got to know him and work with him for a few years, and uh, um, and then I worked a lot of years with a lot of you guys, and. Uh, you guys always been great to me and always showed a lot of respect, like Colsey said, to me and my family. And uh, um, I always appreciated Even my first few years, for you who, who were here, it wasn't always easy for me. And uh, being a first-round pick, and um, you guys never disrespected me anyway or treated me badly or said things uh, maybe behind my back, but not that I heard. <laughs> and uh, uh, not that I hear everything and read everything, but... Uh, when I was young, I read more stuff, and there was never anything. Uh, yeah, so I really appreciate that, uh, working with a lot of you guys for such a long time. And um, like Colton said, you guys work really hard, and we appreciate the hard work you put in and uh, to promote us and to promote the sport. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, it feels uh, it's nice to win it with a nice guy, co co-winners, with a good guy over there. And, uh, I, uh, yeah, once again, just... Thank you, and uh, uh, it's, an, it's an honor to always win a prestigious award, so thank you.
That is Michael Backlund, who did get some claps afterwards. Uh, that is uh, Michael Backlund, who uh, also with teammate Blake Coleman named the Peter Marr Good Guy Award winner. Uh, this text comes in, says, Peter freaking Marr, best ever, puts many in the Hall of Fame to shame. He sounds great, looks great, always awesome to see Pete. Uh, Pete stopped by post game about a month ago as well. It's just always awesome to see Pete, so that was, uh, that was very cool to say. Uh, this says, how dare you, Pat? There's only one one real deal, and his name is James Neal. Um, I believe I used the term real deal earlier. Um, I thought Bill McNeil was the real deal from News Radio. The real deal, and his name is James Neal. There you go, Jack Michaels. Hopefully you're listening. <laughs> Jack listens all the time. So uh, if you're listening, that one's for you. Yeah, the real deal, Tim Khalil, is the best producer, game producer in the business. He's the real, real deal. Sorry, James Neal. Um, this says, uh, when the year is gone like it has, it's hope and prospects and next year that keeps us going and that leads us to the bad news so you've got the good news which is coleman and backland your peter marr good guy award winners very very deserving and then the bad news pike we're getting ready for game 82 of the regular season and it means everything to dustin wolf it means everything to matt coronado absolutely it does but it means nothing in the standings. Yeah. And that is a very, even for us, it, instead it of, it's very empty going into game 82. A year ago, we were looking at the calendar that's beside you in the hostel lounge and going, okay, when are the home games? What's travel going to be like? Those kind of things. And now we're going, when's garbage bag day? When are exit interviews? And it's a weird feeling. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, the off season is always fun because you know, for, if you're a, a, a hockey nerd like most of us are, we really enjoy, you know, the, the team building stuff, you know, free agency, the draft, those kind of things. It's fun for everybody, but playoffs are the most fun, especially for the players. Play, you know, half the league doesn't get to make it. And you can see with, for these guys, like when, you know, the, the, the energy in the, the locker room after that game on Monday it seemed like you know someone let the air out of all the out of the room, and you know they all seemed very bummed out, as you'd imagine they would. And you know it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what what it's like tonight because you know you get two you get two guys making their NHL debut, you get a couple guys getting back in for the first time in a while, especially someone young like Pelche who's still got, got a lot of games ahead of him. Uh, there might be some guys playing their last game for the Flames, or maybe even their last games in the National Hockey League. Who knows? I mean, it's a it's an unforgiving league like that. So you know it's uh. It puts a, a, a bow on what's been a very challenging season for in a lot of respects for the hockey club, and hopefully uh, they can learn the lessons they need to learn from it. It's been a really frustrating season. There's no doubt about it. It's been um, it's been difficult to be a fan of. I can tell just by the people I've spoken to and the texts I've read and the angry tweets that have been directed at me, even though I am not making the lineup decisions. I, I, um, I was told by several people that you do make the lines. Pike, stop it. Shh. Daryl asked me before every game. He goes... Steinberg, who, who should I put in? And I'm and then he does, every time I I go on Twitter first. I see who people really want in. I say, scratch that guy. Do not play that guy. Um, no, it's been a really frustrating year, and and I get it. And I really appreciate everybody being with us the entire year. Uh, it's too bad that game 82 doesn't ultimately mean anything. And look, I guess on the bright side, this is real a real stretch, but I guess <laughs> on the bright side. The fact that Winnipeg won on Tuesday night and would have eliminated the Flames anyway, 
I guess there's that silver lining that, you know, had the Flames beaten Nashville and not been eliminated Monday, they still would have been eliminated Tuesday. At least conventional wisdom would suggest that there's always my Star Trek theory of, well, had the Flames won, would there have been more pressure on the Jets? And would they, yeah, that would have changed the space-time continuum, and who knows what would have happened on Tuesday. But the Jets did also. They did not. Nashville didn't punch their ticket. The Jets punched their own ticket on Monday and Tuesday. So there is that. Yeah, I mean, anyway, you slice it, it's uh, a disappointing season. It's, you know, it's... uh, I think I'm. You know, we'll, we'll obviously have time to, to dive into the minutia of this as we move forth on this program in the coming weeks. Uh, but I, I'm very much on the same page as Bradshaw Living was when he spoke with you uh, during uh, the, the. I think right after the trade deadline, you know, and he mentioned to us in the, the larger media contingent, you know, a good team that's uh, that underperformed. It's like okay, yep, yeah. I on paper, I very much agree. We we all looked at the at the cha- moves they made and the lineup they had uh, before they started playing meaningful games and went, yeah, okay, yeah, they should be good. And then they weren't. So the big question is, why not? Um, and we'll be diving into that a lot <laughs> over the next two or three months. Final text, guys. Will you be covering the Wranglers more as they move into the playoffs? I've still never been to a game, but you bet I'll be following them along, following along this year. Hope the city gets behind them. And, yeah, lots of Wranglers content on Flames Talk the, uh, as we move forward. The fun thing? Uh, if the Wranglers clinch uh, the bye, the, the, they'll have uh, home dates set up fairly quickly, and they'll home ice advantage for as long as they're in the postseason. Correct. So uh, if you haven't been to a game, uh, cheap plug, get to one. Uh, you'll probably want to go to a bunch after you go to one. He's Pike. I'm Steinberg. That'll start to wrap us up on this hour of Flames Talk. Thanks to Cam and Taylor, our producers. This has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Make patio setup easier for your staff with a keyed-alike system. Just one key to lock all your padlocks and doors. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.